Go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 this morning, and we're going to be in verses 26 through 31, finishing out the first chapter in the great book of Genesis. And as you're turning there, I've really been so encouraged by so many of you in this church as you pursue deep discipleship, as you continue to grow in Christ. Uh, on Wednesday mornings at 6 a.m., we have over 100 guys studying Exodus together. And then later on in the day, the women are studying Exodus together. And so if you haven't found a smaller setting where you're being challenged and studied in God's word, I would invite you to come on Wednesdays and join us. We, we're in the middle of it, but we'll fit you in. We'd love to have you. And then I'm aware many of you are taking core scripture and we're in our third uh, trimester of, or third time going through that. And so, so excited that many of you are joining it. And then we have several of you in our academy class. I'm also aware of college students and young adults who are studying a, a plethora of things all over our, our city in small groups, studying God's word, holding one another accountable. Our students are meeting on Wednesday nights, going verse by verse through the book of Philippians. And I, I bring those up once again for two reasons. Number one, I'm just so encouraged by so many of you taking steps to dive into your own growth and discipleship. And I am just thankful to be in this thing with you. And so let's continue to grow in the likeness of Christ together. But the second reason that I bring it up is because whenever you take strides to deepen your discipleship, when you make effort as a Christian to grow in the likeness of Christ, you are modeling a capacity that's been given to you unlike any other thing in God's grand creation. You have been created for a personal relationship with the almighty God and with the ability to fill the earth with the glory of God. The Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God, but you have the ability to image it on the earth. And the Bible says that the trees of the forest clap their hands, but you have an ability to use your hands to actually be the hands and feet of Jesus on the earth. The Bible proclaims that the sea roars and all that fills it, but you as a human have the opportunity, the privilege of filling the earth and subduing it with the nature and the character and the image of God. So unlike all of God's elaborate and mysterious and beautiful and purposeful creation, we see today from God's word that mankind is his most prized possession. And here's the big idea that I want to focus on with you for our time together. Humanity is created in the image of God, therefore has intrinsic worth and ability to fill the earth with God's glory. Humanity is created in the image of God, therefore has intrinsic worth and ability to fill the earth with God's glory. I want you to get your eyes on a copy of Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26, and we'll read through verse 31 together. Now hear the word of the Lord. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing 
that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Let's pray together. Father, what a privilege it's been over the last three weeks. This is the third week looking at the six days of creation when you were in the beginning and out of nothing you began to create. And Lord, I uh, am just moved to worship you today even as I've seen uh, my brothers and sisters, the body of Christ, fellowshipping with one another. I'm very aware this morning that your most prized creation is humanity. And even as we've been joined together today and as we've been fellowshipping today and as there's been kids running around the lobby today and, and, and people having conversation and hugging one another who haven't seen one another throughout the week, God, I just thank you for the way that you've made us. And I thank you for what the gospel does in, in, in joining us to one another so that we could live in the image and likeness of God. So, so Spirit, would you challenge us in our time together from your word to see the capacity that we have to image and reflect Christ on the earth. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Now, as we look at this, there's so many doctrines, really, that you could pull out of the Imago Dei or this passage talking about the image of God. Uh, the Christian worldview stems from here. Sanctity of life stems from here. And if, you, if you've read ahead at all, when you get to Genesis chapter 2, you'll notice it sort of starts to retell uh, the, the creation account, except for it zooms in even further. So you got to verse, chapter 1, verse 2, and God zoomed in on planet Earth. When you get to chapter 2 in Genesis, God zooms in even further on male and female, on Adam and Eve, and, and the creation of Adam and Eve. So we'll have plenty of time in the next couple of weeks to talk about what God teaches us about gender and its importance. But today, I want you to be encouraged by the beauty of being created male and female in the image and likeness of God. You should feel so encouraged and so loved by the Father today. And there's some implications that we can draw out of this text as we look at it. Point number one that I want to give to you is this. Being created in the image of God should cause me to remember human value. Being created in the image of God should cause me to remember human value. And as we begin to look at our text in verse 26 today, you should notice immediately some things should stick out. The patterns that we looked at last week begin to break in the text. Remember that we looked at the first six days of creation, there was a pattern, there's repetition for our good, for our understanding. And each day of creation, it said, and God said, let there be, it was so. There was evening, there was morning, the first day, the second day, the third day, the fourth day. We see that repetition, but it breaks when we get to 26 through 31. The first thing you might notice, you might not notice this so much, but, but the literary form shifts from prose to poetry. 
So prose is just kind of like the straightforward, historical, literal talk that we've been reading from the text. But now it shifts to poetry, which has a little more rhythm and a little more rhyme. But it communicates, the shift indicates something. It's communicating to us that the intimacy of, of, the, of God, who is the artist of all things, is about to create his most brilliant masterpiece yet. Another significant break in the pattern is what God says as he begins to the creation of the world. Look at verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So as you're reading that, you have to notice the, the plural pronouns there and think, who is us? Like in the beginning, God. No one was there with him. And, and God doesn't take counsel from anyone. And, and, and there's been a lot of debate as to what these plural pronouns mean. I think it's very clear that this is our first encounter with Scripture telling us that our God, Elohim, exists in triunity. See, we have a triune God. He is one God who exists in three distinct persons. This is very important to the Christian faith. One God, but he is God the Father, he is God the Son, and he is God the Holy Spirit. And while God was the only one in the beginning, he existed in perfect unity, harmony, communication, rule, submission, and majesty within the Godhead. So the Son perfectly submits to the will of the Father. And the Holy Spirit illuminates the glory of the Son and enlightens the world to the power of God, which is just amazing because God would never ask you or me to do anything that he's not willing to do himself. And so before creation began, we saw submission and we saw harmony and we saw communication on display in the Godhead. And so you could see why the New Testament beckons us to do the same among one another. But what should blow your mind as you look at this historical account where an unfathomable triune God created the first humans is that each member of the Trinity was involved in making, forming, and creating humanity. This was an intimate and personal occasion. God didn't say, let there be light. Or, or let there be an ocean, or let there be fish, or let there be a giraffe, or, or, or let there be birds in the sky. When it came to humanity, God said, let us make man in our image and likeness. Do you see the difference? Really cool doctrine on display here, the, the transcendence of God and the imminence of God. See, the first six days of creation, let us make, or, or sorry, let, let there be light, let there be an expanse, let there be dry land, that speaks of the transcendence of God, that God is all-powerful, that God is beyond what we can comprehend, that he is outside of time and space. Trying to comprehend God is like trying to fill a teacup under a waterfall. He's that big. He's magnificent. He's huge. That's our God. But then we get to verse 26, let us make men. And while that is transcendent, it also speaks of the imminence of God. It, it, it zooms in to say, not only does God exist outside of time and space, but God is here and God is with us and God is in you and God is knowable. 
And he is intimately and intricately involved in forming and fashioning you as human life. He spoke creation into being, but he put his whole Trinitarian self into forming and fashioning human life. And ultimately we see that it's so that we would image God on the earth. It's exactly what he does at salvation, by the way. If you remember, if you weren't here over the last year, we studied the book of Ephesians together. And in Ephesians chapter one, we see the entire Trinity on display as he brings us from death to life. The God the Father chooses and, 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 and adopts us as his own. And, and God the Son redeems and forgives us through the blood and the love that he lavishes upon us. And the Spirit of God seals us for eternity. The whole triune God was at work in saving your soul. And so was the triune God at the beginning of the world as he formed and fashioned mankind, male and female, to walk upon the earth. It's exactly what he did. Verse 26, let us make man in our own image and likeness. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. Do you see the power of God. Let us make man in our own image so God created man. In an instant, God speaks and it comes into being. What God says will happen comes into reality. In verse 28, and God blessed them. It's remarkable that as God created humanity, he blessed them. The first words that God speaks over humanity, nothing else, is blessing. Blessing from Elohim on high. The crown jewel of God's magnificent, incomprehensible creation is you, if you're a human today. Not just Adam and Eve, but humanity is unlike anything else in God's creation because stamped within every human is the image and likeness of God. Humanity is created in the image of God, therefore has intrinsic worth. You have been given a capacity by Elohim, the creator of the ends of the earth. You've been given a capacity to know God personally, to, to think about God deeply in your mind, to hurt, to pray, to feel, to be emotionally connected with God and man. You've been created with a capacity to worship God on a soul level, to create with your mind, to design with genius that comes from an all-genius God. You've been created with the capacity to have dominion and subdue every created resource by God. So God not only blessed you with intrinsic worth, but God has given you a purpose. God has blessed you with functionality. That speaks into the blessing as being created into the image of God. It's one thing to be blessed with something and have no purpose. You could have all of the money that the world could afford you. You could live your life in the absolute lap of luxury. But if you have no purpose, you ain't getting no satisfaction. And we see this to be true in our world. You look at Hollywood, you look at so many people whose lives are just filled with everything that they can get their hands on in this world. But because they have no purpose, they, they reach for things that the world will, will never satisfy 
And they end up bankrupt, they end up divorced, they end up committing suicide. But God gave you a blessing and God blessed you with a purpose because your life is worth living here on the earth. Your life is valuable. You have a reason to be on this earth. God blessing humanity entails that he turned his face fully toward you toward male, toward female, toward mankind. God turned his face fully toward you. Unlike the rest of his creation, God is focused on you. Hear it today. He doesn't have to say, let me go over here while I hold the ocean in place. Or or let me go make sure that the sun rises today or that rain falls in this land that's experiencing a drought. No, God's got all that covered and he's focused. His face is fully turned toward you. And so if you're a person in earshot today and I'm looking around the room, I see people up there and and down here and close to me and to the sides of me, it doesn't matter your age. You are valued by the creator of the ends of the earth. Doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter your skin color, doesn't matter your race or your ethnicity. It doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor, if you live in a trailer or in a mansion, it matters greatly. If God created you male or God created you female, because in the unique and specific design of you, the Father's heart and the Father's love is on display in your life. It doesn't even matter what you've done in this life. Maybe you've been good by the world's standards, maybe you've been bad by the world's standards. Maybe you've been immoral. Maybe you've been a moral person. Every human has been created in the image of God and has worth, which explains why so much of the law throughout Scripture is summed up in love your neighbor as you love yourself. Because those who have been created in the image of God, and that's everyone in this room, has intrinsic worth and value given to them by Elohim. Quickly, this is why we're pro-life as Christians. And when I say pro-life, I'm talking about the discussion around abortion. Hear this. The killing of babies in the womb is a direct assault on humanity being created in the image and likeness of God. It is of the devil to think that a fetus within the womb of a mother is not being as intimately and personally made in the image of God as were Adam and Eve. Of the devil. And David said it this way, so purposefully, so worshipfully. Psalm 139, David said, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You see the intimacy and the intricacy of God. David goes on, Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. And your eyes saw my unformed substance. And in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Even before you lived a day, God saw you, God knew you, God had plan to form you, and nothing distorts the image of God more than when humans take life. 
That includes in the womb. That includes on a delivery table. That includes the elderly. That includes stealing a child's innocence and selling them into sex slavery. If human life covering the earth is spreading the image of God on the earth, then you better believe that Satan wants to spread death on the earth. And Satan wants to stop life from happening. And Satan wants you to believe that life does not start in the womb, so you have the right to stamp it out. Just think about it. Less babies, less images of God filling the earth. Less babies, less image of less images of God spreading across the planet. Pastor Mitch told me this week that eagle eggs in America have more rights than unborn babies in America. In 1940, there was this Golden Eagle Protection Act that says deliberately destroying or even disturbing a bald eagle's egg is punishable by a maximum of $5,000 or up to a year in prison. And then there's been, since 1973, over 600,000 legal abortions per year since 1973. In the the mid-80s through the 90s, that number was over a million per year. Disturbed babies that God was forming in the womb legally aborted. It's sad. It's broken. It's of the devil. But a quick glory story, uh, we at, at Gospel City, we partner with Life Plan, or, or we at least love to support them and pray for them and, and financially bless them and, and serve where we can. And Life Plan, their mission exists, we exist to spread the gospel by helping people choose life and live a hope-filled life. So they get the image of God. They get the Imago Dei. But I want you to see a picture. This is a picture of uh, a, a, a doctor's office in a planned parenthood location that was in Benton Harbor. So you can kind of see in the linoleum that it's so worn from just doctors being in that room and having consultation. And you can imagine that the counseling is, is a, a counseling that is not of God. It is to get rid and dispose of your baby. Now, now the next picture is the glory story. Planned Parenthood location in Benton Harbor went under and Life Plan has bought the building. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> and the very location that Satan was using to spread death and spread lies and where humans were being lied to and to- told that it's their right to kill an unborn baby, now Life Plan will spread the power of the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ and we will see new life happen in the power of Jesus Christ. Isn't that awesome? So, so this is what the gospel does. It turns brokenness around. The gospel reverses the curse of sin. It images God the Father as new life is conceived, born, and nurtured toward Christ. And what man means for evil, God will always use for good. He's doing it in that circumstance. But here's another thing that the image of God proclaims. Because all of humanity is created in the image of God and has intrinsic worth and value, that's also why we as Christians, we as people do not look down on people who have had abortions. We don't look down on people who have made decisions in their past. We don't look down on people with disgust because of the choices that they've made. When they walk into this place, the image of God is on display 
And, and the gospel beckons you to come as you are, to bring all of your sin, all of your shame, all of your past decisions to the cross. And the people of God who have been saved by the blood of Jesus, they will love you like Jesus has loved them. And we are humble and we bear with one another. So come to the feet of Jesus. Point number two this morning, being created in the image of God should cause me to reflect God's nature and glory. Being created in the image of God should cause me to reflect God's nature and glory. The truth that you are made to reflect the image of God or mirror the likeness of God begins to get into your God-given functionality as a human. I haven't seen this done before, but I, I read about it. I looked up a video of it this week, and I've talked about it with my brothers or something growing up. But here's a mirror, right? And uh, you can actually light a fire with a mirror. Anybody ever do that in the room? Anyone? Yeah, a couple of you pyromaniacs back there. So uh, if you, just as God has turned his full face toward humanity, if you turn a, a mirror full faced to the sun, it'll actually bounce a, a sunbeam off of the mirror. And if you hold some dry leaves or some paper in front of it, you know, maybe half a foot away or a foot away or something, it'll start to smoke and you get a little wind going and, and a fire will eventually take place. This is what it looks like to image God on the earth, to mirror God's likeness. Just as he turned his face toward humanity, humanity was made to turn toward God, reflect his power, and radiate his nature all over the earth. So just, just look at the different assignments that the Lord gives us within the text. Verse 27, he says, male and female, he created them. That's very important. The greatest image of God is seen in both male and female. We need both. They're both equally important to God. One does not stand above the other. Verse 28, after he blessed them, he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. In verse 29, and God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. So there's some implied assignments from the text. And then there's some very explicit assignments stated in the text for us as image bearers of God. So let's talk about five ways humans reflect God's image. Five ways humans reflect God's image. Number one relationship. Number one comes through relationship. You were created with the capacity and even the necessity to have deep and meaningful relationships. This idea precedes the law of God that was given at Mount Sinai. But the same law was written in the DNA of Adam and Eve. In the very fabric of their being was written on the untainted hearts of mankind, love God, and love people. Adam and Eve, they were created with this ability to have a vertical relationship. They were created for it, to have a relationship with Elohim who breathed the stars into existence. This is different from, from the fish and the birds and the deer and the plants that God created. You as a human are meant to have a deep and meaningful and personal relationship 
with God, but also Adam and Eve were created with the capacity for horizontal relationships. They would perfectly help, lead, love, and communicate with one another. The the very concept of another human harming another human, foreign to the garden. Because when God created man and woman in his image, his idea was that humans love humans, and humans bear with humans, and humans help humans, and humans serve humans. So Adam and Eve, they didn't need to be told, thou shall not steal, thou shall not murder, thou shall not covet, thou shall not lie, thou shall not commit adultery, because it would have been unheard of for them. So when we love God and love people, we are reflecting the image of God that's been uniquely stamped within us. This, of course, is true within the church. So much of what God is restoring is that we would bear with one another, be humble toward one another, be eager to maintain unity in the bond of peace with one another. Relationship helps us reflect the image of God that we've been created in. Number two, we reflect the image of God through reproduction. Verse 28, it says, be fruitful and multiply. Of course, we know that male and female is important for reproduction. And the fact that science is telling us that that isn't the case means that you can't always trust science. But if human life reflects the glory of God, then more human life would fill the earth with more of God's glory. So God's intention in the garden was that his image bearers would multiply and fill his cosmic temple with his glory. Think about this. Unlike the the plants and the animals, the fish and the birds, who could be fruitful and multiply? When humans reproduce, the image of God is reproduced. More humans, more image of God spreading across the earth. Could you imagine if sin had not marred humanity. I don't know what would happen. Maybe God would have got a thousand years down the line and said, the earth is full of my glory. There's people everywhere. Let's keep it like this. This is awesome. (laughs) If, If that were the case, we wouldn't be sitting here today marveling at the power of God, the divine rescue plan of God, the unconditional love of God toward our sinfulness and brokenness and the ability to come to him out of grace. Could you imagine if there was no grace, if there was no mercy, if there was no cross? And God didn't have to learn any of this. God knew his divine rescue plan would would last a lifetime, our lifetime, generations upon generations of his faithfulness and his mercy and his goodness, drawing, bringing many sons to glory so that every tribe, tongue, and nation would exalt him and praise him. Another thing to think about on this, in the Old Testament, having babies was a big deal. If you, if you couldn't have a baby as you go through the Old Testament and as sin came in, A barren woman was considered kind of second class and set aside, and they were always trying to have a son. And of course, Jesus came through a lineage that God provided, and sometimes even miraculously, having babies, reproduction within the family in the Old Testament, big deal. Now when we get to the New Testament, reproduction is still a big deal, but now it's about making disciples. You see what I'm saying? Once Jesus saved your soul, Yes, we can still have babies within the covenant of marriage, and this brings glory to God, and children are a blessing to God, but every disciple in this room can reproduce themselves 
by making a disciple of someone else. And as you make a disciple of someone else, as you mentor, as you walk alongside others, we are filling the earth with the image and the glory of God. The third way that we reflect God's image is through reliance. Reliance. Verse 29, God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. Verse 30, I have given you every green plant for food. And it was so. So it's clear as you read that, that while God made humanity special, he still made them to depend on him. Adam and Eve relied on God to provide, sustain, protect, and bless them, and so should we. This is how God uses us. The more that you rely on God, the more God will use you on the earth. Just as this mirror cannot create fire apart from the sun, humanity was not meant to image God or reflect God apart from God. We're in desperate need of him as the source. So because being dependent and our need for reliance is written in the fabric of our DNA, due to sin, we often say we are independent creatures, but our worth is no longer found in God, but in that which we depend on. And everybody depends on something. If you're not depending on God, you will depend on your charisma. You'll depend on your job. You'll depend on your clothes or your shoes. You'll depend on your accolades. You'll depend on your athletic abilities or your looks. And the problem is we were never meant to draw our worth from these things. So when depending on these temporal things let us down, then you start to depend on things like drugs and sex and meaningless relationships and alcohol and lies and these types of things that simply numb the real problem heap more and more and more shame onto the beauty and image of God that has been stamped within every single soul. And once the shame of this world has, has so pressed down the image of God that's within you, we just have to hit absolute rock bottom for God to show us that we desperately need him and we are not our own gods. The fourth way we reflect the image of God on the earth is through righteousness. Jump back to verse 26 in the text. God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. Do you just realize how amazing that statement is? God made you to be like him. Unfathomable. So a major part of reflecting the image of God is his holiness. It's his righteousness. This is why God is the moral authority of all of mankind because he created you to be like him. He created everything. So he knows what is good. He knows what is evil. He is the standard of what is good. And he is, there is no evil in him. So stamped in our being is a general understanding of what is right and what is wrong. Adam and Eve, they would have thought the Ten Commandments were laughable, elementary. Why do we need to write that down? We wouldn't do those things. Of course we do these things. And yet when sin entered the world, the most obvious commands that help us reflect God's righteousness and character became impossible for humanity to keep. And so humans started harming humans. And here we are today. Many of us have experienced the hurt of sin among mankind. 
Finally, the fifth way that we reflect God's image on the earth is through rule. Through rule. Verse 26. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This is instinctual for us as mankind because we're created in the image of God. The dominion is an exhaust, exhaustive dominion. It means you as a human have dominion over everything that God has made in the first six days of creation. Everything he previously created, you are able to rule over. And God says, see all that I have made and enjoy it. Harness it, learn about it, eat it, benefit from it, and use it to your advantage. And we see this has happened in the world. Man is intellectual, and man has ingenuity, and man is creative, and man is competitive, and man is scientific, and man is genius. But all of it comes from imaging and reflecting God. But the dominion was never meant to extend over other humans. So when dominion turned to dominating humans, that's when we got all of this sin that we're talking about today. That's when we got slavery and abortion and child sex trafficking and war. Because all of these show God's image bearers exercising their rule over other image bearers. And that doesn't reflect God's heart. That just magnifies sin in the world. So everything since sin has marred the image of God within us. The fall didn't take that away from you. The fall didn't take your ability to exercise rule and dominion and subdue the earth away from you. But sin made it really hard for us to image God the way that he intended. And so that leads us to our final point this morning, and it's this. Being created in the image of God is very good when restored through the person and work of Jesus. Being created in the image of God is very good when restored through the person and work of Jesus. Look at verse 31 in your Bible. And God saw everything that he had made. Could you just, just, can you just think about it for a moment? Six days out of nothing, the world, everything that exists, spoken into existence by an all-creator God. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. The creation account is meant to move you as a human to worship. It's meant to move you to behold Elohim and marvel at his power and his control. But also in reading this, with the nuances of God forming mankind, it's meant to show you the love that the Father has for you. God the Father loves you so much, every person in this room. And, and he's inviting you, the reader, to behold what is very good, <laughs> what is most excellent, what is superb, what is perfection. And so studying God's word, studying the image of God this morning as the people of God it should cause a few things in you. It should first cause you to see that all of humanity has intrinsic worth and value and is able to spread and image the glory of God on the earth. It should also cause you to evaluate your own life 
and whether or not you're reflecting and mirroring the image of God on the earth. And lastly, it should cause you to see that something is very, very, very wrong with humanity. The image of God is not lost in you, but it has been massively marred by sin. And God could have left us here, but the rest of Scripture shows us a divine rescue plan that would restore the image of God in man. Instead of leaving us on our own or in our sin, God became a man to do what we could not. This is what separates Christianity from the rest of religion. All of the rest of the religions, every other religion is, is man trying to appease a deity. Man realizing that something's not right in this life and I'm not uh, in a right vertical relationship and a right horizontal relationship and so I need to be a really good person so that I get on God's good side. And if you could do that, your God's not big enough. He would cease to be God. So the gospel proclaims that because man was created to image God and failed miserably because of sin, and all of us have been affected by one man, and that's Adam, God said, I'm going to send my one and only son. God came to our earth to image us. Imagine that. And he imaged God perfectly on our sinful and broken planet. He lived the life that you were supposed to live. And then he died the death that you're supposed to die so that you could become his righteousness and be saved forever. So that rather than experiencing the death that you deserve, he wants to spread life and life abundantly to your life. Jesus came and lived the life that we couldn't live. He showed us what it means to mirror and to reflect and to image the God of glory on the earth. Just think about Jesus. He used creation as a common carpenter and Jesus communed with God in the temple, even at a young age. And Jesus saw value in the outcast and the drunk and the prostitute and the thief. And Jesus showed compassion to the sick and the crippled and the leper. And Jesus replicated himself and others and gained followers. He pointed to God. And Jesus, he was humble and he was obedient. Jesus was betrayed and he was falsely accused and he was mocked and he was beaten and he was hung on a cross to die. Having done nothing wrong, but he hung on a cross in your place as a substitute for your sins. And that's what the image of God looks like. The image of God looks like servanthood. The image of God and man looks like humility. The image of God and man looks like unconditional love. The image of God and man looks like preferring others as better than yourself. It looks like bowing down regardless of status and washing your brother or sister's feet. And all of it made way for the image of God to be restored in us. And as Jesus rose, he gave birth to his church, which would become his cosmic holy temple reaching from Jerusalem to Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, even to Granger, Indiana today, filling the earth with the image and the glory of God. You want to be sure that you're living out the image of God on the earth? Then look to Jesus today and be transformed forever. Come on, stand to your feet with me. I just love the word of God. It moves me to worship him. It moves me to worship him. And I pray that it moves you to worship him too.
at Transformation Ministries where my wife and I and our family serves at times, one of their uh, core values is discovering gold. This is exactly where it comes from, that every individual has gold deep down within them. Just like you have to dig for gold, unfortunately, the sin and shame of this world and, and many of, of the kids in our city who are in hard situations, that gold has been massively shoved down because of sin and shame. And so it's an opportunity every week, Transformation Ministries is doing it. They sit with these kids and they love these kids and they help them try to see through God's word that they have intrinsic worth and value and ability to fill the earth with the glory of God. Jesus can restore that. So I just want you to bow your heads for a moment. What about you? What about you? Do you know the value that's been given to you? Are you here today feeling worthless because of past decisions in your life? Things that you've done that you know don't glorify God? I want you to cry out to him today. The first chapter of the Bible leads us to the cross every single time. And here we stand once again and the gospel proclaims, seek him and you will find him. Knock and the door will be open. Confess Jesus as Lord of all creator of the ends of the earth. Believe in your heart that he is Lord and God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. Cry out to him. Let go of everything else that he might restore his image that's within you. Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters here today. And Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it has all that we need for life and godliness. And each week, God, as we open it, your spirit just proves more and more of its faithfulness. Each week as we open it, your spirit just reveals to us that you are in control and that you've always been there and that you're still working and that everything that lives and moves and has being finds it in you. Lord, would you forgive us today of our sin? Would you forgive us of our trespasses? Would you forgive us for trying to draw worth and value from the lesser things of this life? Would you forgive us for believing the lies of the enemy that tell us that we have the power to stamp out life, that we have the power to protect our own lives, that we have the power to live our lives in self-preservation? Lord, would you cause us as the people of God to burn brighter and brighter to be fully facing you as you are fully facing us, that we might set this world ablaze as the image and the glory of God is on reflection within our lives and within humanity. Would you help us to love you and to love people and to make disciples of all nations? We thank you that we've been created new in you and we give you all the glory in Jesus' name.